The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. For God, because He is there with us and He has not stopped loving us. In John's Gospel, at the beginning of John, John gives this account of who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You know that passage. It goes on to say in there that we, uh, that to all who have received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it goes on to say, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. What he's saying is, we have natural fathers, or people that have had a one-night stand, and we're the result of that, or whatever. However that's come about, God wants to know, when we give our lives to him, there is something that's happened in heaven, and it doesn't matter about what happened on earth, and how your earthly father brought you here, you have become, and given the right to become, a child of the living God. It's something that should impact us. You know what? I don't know whether your father is alive or whether your father has passed away. My own father has passed away. But I can declare this. I have a father in heaven who loves me. We have to get hold of this. You have to speak it into your soul. Do you know why you have to speak it into your soul? Because there is an enemy who wants to snatch to kill, to steal from you so that you are left feeling like an orphan, feeling like nobody cares, feeling like the world is against you. The Word of God says this, that we must put our trust in Him. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His one and only Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, how not also, along with Him, will He freely give to us all things. God is good and he is for us. I say this because it's good to receive it into our souls. We need to have it. There's rubbish that comes around. There's oppression that comes upon us. There's distress and discouragement that come over us. There's confusion that we bring ourselves into, but God's truth needs to be made alive in our hearts. He is good. He is on the throne. As we were worshipping this morning, you feel your heart softening. You feel it soft. You feel like, do you know what? I was just sort of singing, but now actually I'm quite enjoying this singing. Do you, is that how you felt? I know it is. Because his presence comes. That is the presence. The presence of God lifts you up. The presence of God encourages you. The presence of God can show you your sin and yet you don't feel wretched. You feel like coming to him and getting it cleansed. The presence of God draws you because God is good. In all of his ways he is good. Faithful is what we were singing. Faithful you are. All of your promises are yes and amen. God doesn't say, oh I'm sorry I didn't mean it for you. I had the rest but you, oh you're a mess. He doesn't say that. His promises are yes for everybody. Yes for you. No matter what you are going through. 
If you are in the sense, in the midst of doubt, well, I, I don't know, last week I loved God, this week I'm not so sure. If you're in the middle of that, I can still declare to you, God's after you. He's pursuing you. He loves you. He wants you for himself. He is the lifter of your head and the lover of your soul. I speak it to myself often. I have to remind myself, this is who God is. He's the lover of my soul. Other people may reject me. Other people may push me aside. Other people may want to put me down, but not my father. He is interested in lifting me up. He's interested in supporting me and helping me and strengthening me. That is who he is. Listen, do you connect with him? How's this last week been? Have you spent time thinking, this God who is good, have I given him any time? One of the problems we face in our world today is busyness. Busyness. You know, and busyness keeps us occupied, and we love being occupied. Because when we're busy, we're productive, and it looks like we're doing good things. But you know, that busyness can take us away from his presence. And really, his presence is what makes us productive. Really productive. We can do so many things and look good, but were they the things that God called us to do? Have we been productive for his purposes? Were we producing fruit for his kingdom? That's what God wants for us. Hallelujah. I want to talk, how long I, very briefly, I want to talk this morning about, I, just really following on from what I was talking about last week, spiritual power, the spiritual realm, an understanding that perhaps we have little about. Sometimes actually when we're here in the West, we, we tend to think like spiritual things happen elsewhere in the world, but not here. God is, well, we don't even know who God is, God, and he does whatever he wants, but there isn't really a spiritual realm. Now, that tends to be how some of us think. Well, actually, when I say some of us, it tends to be the mindset that we live in. So it's not, I'm not blaming anybody. This is where we live, and this is what we, we don't think about the spiritual realm. But the spiritual realm is real. The spiritual realm was before the physical realm. In the beginning was God, and God is spirit, and God created the heavens and the earth. But you see, for us, the physical realm, which came second, is more substantial than the spiritual realm. So that it's a reality, the spiritual realm is a reality, but we find it difficult to get hold of and difficult to understand. When I was in Uganda, I was talking to people about their experiences, because there. I was speaking to some pastors, and they have come from a background of witchcraft. In their family, people went to a witch doctor. People went there and did sacrifices so they could get things, because they recognized there was power in the spiritual realm, and that power can be connected via two ways, via God or via the demonic forces. There's power in the spiritual realm. Michael Chimuli, a man who is a, a powerful Christian, and uh, has a great ministry. He has been here. He was with, worked alongside John Melindy in the very early days. I was talking to him about his family experiences. His family were into witchcraft. He said he, as a young boy, he didn't realize that. You just grow up with what your family do. And he says at times, there would be great big family gatherings. So all the uncles and aunts, everybody would come together. He didn't know why. And he would often be in charge of preparing the sacrifice and things like this. He just thought, he didn't really understand what was happening, but it was happening. But he says that in these gatherings, where they wanted to call on demonic spirits, 
they would go through various rituals. There would be sacrifices and things like that, but there would be singing. Now, when I hear this, I think, like, what? People who contact demons, they don't sing because we worship in church. But you see, you don't understand. Connecting to the spiritual realm means that we need to be opened up inside. And when we worship God and we are declaring truth about God and we're focusing upon God, what we're doing is we're opening our spirits to connect with the Holy Spirit, to connect with God's presence so that he can affect us. But you know, that's the same sort of thing they do in the demonic realm. I didn't know that. But I didn't know this either. You see, they do it until they make connection. Hello? We tend to do it until the time says, oh, come on, we need to get on with something else. Do you hear that? Here's a problem automatically between sort of African nations and English nations. We know we always have this joke about time, but you see, they got that right. We got it wrong. They got it right and says, if it matters that we connect to the Spirit, we'll be here for as long as it takes. We say, oh, we'll give you an hour and a half because that's what we can fit in. So who's right? Well, they are right in that process because it takes time to connect into the spiritual realm. When people, and Michael was talking about his family connecting, he says, how would we know when the leader of the family had connected with a demonic power? Well, they would have to sing and they would have to sing and they would have to make statements and, you know, do it praying and all this sort of stuff. But they're trying to make connection with a demonic power. But they knew when connection had made because the family member would take a knife and put it in the fire and then they would lick their tongue with the knife and it wouldn't affect them. And then everybody would know, oh, something has changed here. And then that person would start to speak with a demonic voice and they would start to communicate. Now, I don't say these things to scare us. I say these things because I found it, wow, do you know what? That's enlightening. I didn't realize that sometimes we have to press through. I know that we say that in church, but not until he comes. And yet when you read the scripture, it says it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness upon you. You see, the same principle is being led to us because it's telling us how to connect into the spiritual realm, which is where the presence of God comes. In the days of the uh, Hebridean revival, there was a young boy who could draw the presence through his prayers. He was only a young lad, like one of our, uh, just a young teenager, and yet Duncan Campbell recognized that when he prayed, he could connect into the spiritual realm and bring the presence of God down. And Duncan Campbell had to go to an area where there had been no revival, where there was a lot of sort of angst against it, and people didn't really want to know, but he'd been invited there to preach, and he invited this boy, uh, Donald McPhail, I think his name was. Donald McPhail came. And Donald prayed. And he says the presence of God came into that meeting. He drew the presence of God through his prayers. And then in that meeting when there was preaching and teaching, afterwards there was not a household of people represented there where somebody wasn't saved that, that, in the next week. Because God's presence could come and do things. We want to learn how to connect to the reality of the spiritual realm. I can tell you this, it takes perseverance. It takes a sense of continuing until we are making connection. 
And even in this morning, we have experienced that to some degree. When we started our first song, oh, there's a lively song. You know, we'll get into that. But as we're moving and we're saying, all your promises are yes and amen, I can sense here that people are saying, wow, Lord, this is who you are. This is who you are. Great are you, Lord. People want to lift up their hands. People want us praise God because something is stirring. The presence of God is stirring. And his presence brings peace. His presence means he starts to speak to you. His presence means he starts to open your mind and your heart to him. He is real. God is real. And he is able to do what he has said in his word. We live in an environment where everybody wants to tell you, you don't believe that rubbish, do you? Listen, he is creator and sustainer of the whole universe. That is who he is. And when you look out the evening skies, especially now when we can start to see the sun setting, well, that is if we see the sun, um, but when the sun sets, and, and you just look at it and you say, like, what? you find words of praise come from your lips. That's magnificent. Have you seen that? How wonderful. This week as I was driving home through the rain, there was suddenly a marvellous rainbow across the sky. Very, very clear. I saw one or two people had taken Instagram pictures and put it up. And he said, this rainbow. Father, that is you declaring that you're not going to come and wipe away the world through a flood. It's God speaking to us. God is real. And even now, if there's a battle in your mind, I am commanding those demons to be silent in the name of Jesus. That you may hear the good news that Jesus loves you and has come for you to rescue you to take you out of darkness, to bring you into his kingdom of light, to give you hope and a future, because that's who God is. Listen, the Bible tells us distinctly that we're not to dabble in the things of the occult. So just whilst I'm giving some examples of that, I also want to say, listen, that whole area of life, in Deuteronomy it says, we shouldn't let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or his daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, who is a medium, a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Why? Because they're demonic powers. They are not coming from the source of God himself and he wants us to have nothing to do with them. If you're looking at your horoscope and stuff and you're looking to see the stars or how those things can interpret your future, then actually lay it down and confess that before God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. He is the one who is the author of your life. The thing is, as human beings, we naturally want to know what's going to happen next. Am I going to be successful in that? We want to take away all the pressure of prayer we want to take all the pressure of waiting. We want to find out what's going to happen. There's a natural tendency in us to do that. And the enemy can use that. So if that's you, then please lay it down and let God come and be your heavenly father. For us as Christians, the Bible says this. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. That you might know him. You might know him and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is for us what uh, uh, God wants for us. Paul, of course, talks in Corinthians about the fact that we should know what the enemy's schemes are so that Satan might not outwit us. Because he tries to outwit us. We need to know our enemy. If you are going to win a battle, you need to know the enemy that is coming against you. If you don't know anything about him, then you're not going to be able to understand his ways. And after all, in Ephesians 6, it clearly declares to us 
at who our struggle is with. Now, my struggle is with John and Jane and my... No, no, no. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and the, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is who we're struggling against. We're struggling. We're wrestling against demonic forces. But do you know what? Those forces, they can operate through people. So somebody who you're getting on with well in the office, but suddenly they, they say some things or they're nasty to you or they're difficult to you, it's not them, but there can be a spirit operating through them to affect you. This is why Jesus tells us it's important that we forgive. What, seven times? No, 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 77 times. Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. Why? Because you see, in those dealings with people, you can actually be fighting spiritual battles. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but we are fighting against the powers and the principalities in the heavenly places. And you know what? Even sin itself, sin is like a force. We see this in Genesis 4, where it talks about the story of Cain and Abel. And there we see God, uh, the two boys are bringing sacrifices. One is bringing uh, a sheep, and, and that is acceptable before God. The other one is bringing a whole lot of his vegetables and all the things he's been growing. He's got his great basket full. Look, God, look how great this is. But God says to him, listen, that's not the sacrifice that I need. I need a blood sacrifice. So listen, just put that to one side. Give me the right, give me the right sacrifice. But Cain is upset. And God speaks to him, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Do you get that imagery of something waiting to pounce? Something waiting to get hold of you? That's what sin is like. It's like a force, it's like a power that seeks to take hold of us. And we can see that because in Ephesians 12, 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle, it's a force, it's a power, and sin is a power that takes hold of us. Am I speaking to myself, or do you understand this? Have you felt the power of sin? Have you felt the power of temptation? It's like, it doesn't just say, oh no, I forget that. It keeps drawing you. It keeps enticing you. It keeps pulling you. There is a power there, and we need to resist this. It's a dark power. Why do people connect to the spiritual realm? And I'm talking not just for Christians. We connect because God is good and he is our helper. Why do other people, why do other people connect with dark powers? Because they know that it's real. They know that it's real. You know, when you look back in Exodus at the story of Moses taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, you see there, Moses is sent by God to, bring, to act as the deliverer, and he is to go to Pharaoh, and he is to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. You know the story. And you know the story of the plagues. You know, actually, beginning, Moses says, well, who am I? I can't do this. What should I do? And God says, listen, take your staff and throw it on the ground. And as he throws his staff on the ground, it becomes a snake. That's pretty cool. And God says to him, take hold of the tail. You've got to make sure you get the right end, otherwise there would be problems. But he gets hold of the tail, and it comes back to his staff. 
Wow, he says, no, you go. You go, you can go and show the Egyptians that. So he feels like, yes. So it comes up and God says, I'm going to bring a plague. And he comes up in front of uh, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has his magicians, they just says his wise men. That's what it says in the Bible. So we're reading that, so oh, yeah, he's got a few people to help him out, his advisors. So Moses does his trick, they can do the same. They can do the same. But in this case, Moses' snake eats all of their snakes up. You see? Hallelujah. It's a higher power. But the principle, we read these stories and we can just say, pass them over. Oh, I'm so glad that God did that. But it makes us say this, God is powerful. He is mighty. He is able to do all things. He is the highest authority. He is the greatest power. As it goes through the different plagues, the first plague was what? So the, the pouring out of the water becoming blood in the Nile. It says there that, that Pharaoh's magicians were able to do the same things. Can you do that? I can't. Would we be astounded if it happened? Yes, we would. Would we be drawn to somebody who could do that? Quite possibly. Why? Because it's a power. And we're interested in power. Because power can help us. And we want help in our lives. But our power is in heaven. Amen. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my help comes from. Who are we connecting with? And as you go on in those plagues, if you go back to Exodus and you read about the plagues, you'll see there's the plague of blood. Then there's the plague of, I don't know, plague of frogs. There's flies, frogs. The first three, the Egyptian magicians can do the same things. They can make frogs come up. Okay, that's why sometimes people consider frogs to have a demonic element about them because of that uh, that word in the scripture and the fact that they can make up frogs. So if you've got a collection of frogs sitting on your mantelpiece at home and you keep collecting frogs, <laughs> hallelujah, I expect you're thinking about getting rid of them. Amen. <laughs> anyway, as we progress, as we progress in this, when it comes to the plague of gnats, where Moses threw the dust in the air and it became like mosquitoes, and affected everybody, guess what? Pharaoh's wise men and sorcerers couldn't do it. And what does the scripture say? They said, this is the finger of God. Amen. You see, there is power. Listen, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Everything I've been talking to you about, you see there. On Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal were gathered together because Elijah had come to a place just like we are in this nation. Whereas you say, who's God? And everybody says, I, well, they don't say anything because they're not quite sure. Is Yahweh God? Can you support the God of Christianity? Is Baal God? There's silence. So Elijah, I nearly said Moses, Elijah says, right, let's gather everybody together. You guys, you know how to operate with spiritual power. So do I. Let's, let's have a sacrifice. You build your sacrifice, I'll build my sacrifice. And let's call upon our God. And the God who answers by fire, let him be God. And they say, yeah, we're up for that. Why would they say that 
if they'd never done it before? Why would they say that if they didn't believe in the power of the spiritual forces? They said it because they said, like, we can do that. That's fine. That's fine. We'll do that. And Elijah says to them, you guys want to go first? They say, of course we want to go first. We'll go first. So they get their sacrifice. They make that ready. And then they start chanting and they start calling upon the name of Baal. You see, they are going through their practices. They need his presence. They need the presence of Baal to come and to show himself as the powerful one. And they're calling upon him. And after having gone through three hours, three hours, things are not looking good because he's not answering them. So it feels like the heavens are closed to them. And so it says they start cutting themselves. You see, they're starting to increase the level of sacrifice. They're starting to shed their blood. They're starting to show how desperate they are because desperation is what is necessary to make the connection, to push through. But guess what? It says it comes to the time of the afternoon sacrifice and nothing has happened. So Elijah says, sorry guys, it's my turn. So he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. He puts his sacrifice on it. And then he says, guys, let's just make sure that everybody understands what's happening here. You pour lots of water on mine. In fact, he's dug a little trench around it, so he's buckets and buckets of water going on him, just to make sure, listen, this is really wet, this isn't going to light. And then he prays to God, and God answers by fire, and the whole sacrifice is gone within seconds. And guess what? Everybody is on their faces saying, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. You understand that there is power in the spiritual realm. Guys, do you want to come back up? There's power in the spiritual realm. There's a story in 2 Kings with Elisha. Yes, with Elisha. And here, there's a story of the king of Israel had uh, had an arrangement with the Moabites, um, and they were supposed to be supplying him with thousands of sheep. So it's sort of like a, uh, they've made a treaty, and this is their, what they need to pay to keep that treaty in place. And the Boabites say, stuff this, we've had enough of sending our sheep and wool to him, we're not going to do it. Now obviously that causes tension, and political tension can result in wars. So the king of Israel gets together with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they go out to fight against the Moabites. And it says, as they're going to fight the Moabites... They're coming across the desert, but they run out of water. And suddenly they start, start saying to God, God, we believe you called us to do a righteous act to fight against the Moabites, but here we are, we have no water, and we will die or we will be overrun by them because we have got no water supply. What are we to do? And somebody says, the prophet Elisha is here. And Elisha comes, and he's pretty sharp, let's say, with the, the leaders. And he says, listen, I'm not interested in you guys, but give me a harp. And he starts playing his harp and the presence of God comes. And he says to them, listen, this thing is not hard for God to do. What you need to do is you need to go out and you need to dig pits in the ground and tomorrow morning those pits will be full of water. You'll have water for your horses and your men. Everything's going to be fine. And sure enough, the next morning, having dug those pits, it says that water came, filled them, and they had enough water supply for all of their needs. 
However, it also reflects on the Moabite army who looked back and they could see the sun glinting off the water, but they thought it was blood. And they thought, oh, the three kings who've allied themselves together are coming against us. They've obviously had a fight themselves. We'll go out and get them. And as they went out and got them, they found that wasn't the case and a battle ensued. And a battle that caused uh, Moab some def great defeat. However, towards the end of the passage, and this is, where are we? We're in 2 Kings 3. The end of that passage, you find that the Moabite uh, king takes his firstborn son and sacrifices him on the city wall. And it says this, The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. You see, you might just pass that particular scripture by and say, well, that's an interesting story. But what you see is, what happened was there was child sacrifice, a high level of sacrifice. The king's own son, the heir to the throne, was sacrificed on the city wall, and that had such turmoil in the spiritual realm that it caused the Israelites, who were winning, to withdraw and go home. Folks, there is a reality in the spiritual realm. That's what I want to impress upon you. Now look, I'm going to have to move very quickly here. For us to connect with the spiritual realm, we need time and we need space. We need persistence. All of these things you read about in Scripture when it comes to talking about prayer, Jesus taught quite clearly. If you are to, you know, the story of the widow. He says the widow that was, a, the judge was stopping her and yet the widow kept asking the judge for mercy, asking the judge for mercy, asking the judge for mercy. And in the end, the judge says, for goodness sake, who is this woman that will not stop? Uh, let me give her what she wants to get her away from me. And Jesus says, listen, that's an example for you that you should always pray and not give up. I want to encourage us to pray and not give up. And since coming back from Uganda, I'm thinking like, we need to have a time of prayer. Not necessarily that we all come together, but we need to devote ourselves to prayer. And this week I was talking to uh, one of the guys of, uh, who's a member of the Church of England here. And in the Church of England, they run a period of prayer between Ascension Day and Pentecost Sunday. It's what I was talking about last week. You remember that when Jesus ascended, before he ascended, he said to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. So what did they do? They went back from the Mount of Olives where Jesus had ascended and they gathered together and they were all together in one place and they were praying. I said to you last week, we know the end of the story, we don't take it from that day. That day they were praying, well, what's going to happen? How's God going to answer? What is this power? Where's it coming from? How's that going to happen? Hundreds of questions. And we may have hundreds of questions about how is God going to break into my life? How is he going to do this? How am I going to understand the presence? What is this about spiritual forces? I don't understand. I'm confused. But we need to come just like they did. We need to come before God in prayer. And I want to encourage us as a church from the 10th of May, Thursday the 10th of May, which is Ascension Day, through to Sunday the 20th of May, I want us as individuals, to get hold of this, I am going to spend time praying during those 11 days, and I'm going to be asking God, God, you said I need power to be your witness. Come and visit me with your power. 
Come and let your kingdom come in my life. Come and open my heart. And you, at the beginning, well, how is this going to happen? We know that for them, they had tongues of fire. Is that what he's going to do with me? What's God going to do in my life? How's, I don't know what he wants to do. But I know this. God is real and he wants to use you for his purposes. And he wants to take you from where you are deeper into himself. So I don't know what he is going to do, but I know he wants to do something. And I know he is going to do something if we give ourselves to him. The Church of England called this program Thy Kingdom Come. You can look at it on the internet and you can get information from what they're doing. I'm not saying that we necessarily need to follow them. I'm just saying this. We have 11 days where we can be focused in our prayers. We can pray for things like the soul plan as we are. Because Jesus has told us he wants his kingdom to be extended. He wants the lost to be saved. We do pray about that, but that can be a focus for you. But find something and get focused and get praying by ourselves. There's plenty of prayer meetings that are happening in the church that we can connect to corporately during that time. But what is important is that we bring ourselves before God. Because when you come by yourself before God, you start to learn things, i.e., I don't know what to say. Now I'm here, I've run out of words. You start to think like, God, do you really care for me? You start to have personal thoughts about where you are because God wants to deal with you and encourage you. But if we don't go to those places, we don't learn those things. I want to encourage you from the 10th of May through to Sunday the 20th of May that we take that 11 days and we use it as a time of focus upon calling upon God individually. Asking God to help us. Asking him to meet our needs. You don't need to give a list to him. It says in the word of God, he already knows what you need before you bring it before him. But what he wants is you. He wants fellowship with you. He wants to increase his presence in you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to help you so that you can become the person that he has designed you to be so that you can fulfill his purpose here on earth. Listen, we need to finish here, so I will do. But let me remind you of what it says in Hosea 12, 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you.